Good morning, and welcome to the Sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. I am Pastor Richard T. Wade, and I would like to say thank you for joining us today. I pray the Word of God can speak to you, and the Holy Spirit make it real to you. Now, a pre-recorded message from Cornerstone Assemblies of God. glory. Before the tongue came, I had felt that word, but I want to also read to you from the scripture, a confirmation and basis of that very word. Acts 2 and verse 17, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, quoting the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days it shall be, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is not my message or not my prepared message. But I believe the Lord will remind you of a few things in the culture and the mindset of today is there is a promise that our sons and daughters, I'm going to take two minutes and spend right there, sons and daughters. There's a debate in the church world today as to the place of women in ministry and if they can and cannot preach. Well, in the Word of God, when you go to the original Greek to preach the message of the gospel or to prophesy the message of the gospel is one and the same word. And so if they can prophesy, they can preach. Because the Greek word, not the English word, the Greek word, the word that it was originally written, it's the same word. And if there's a promise of God from Joel, the prophet, and then Peter reminds them on the day of Pentecost, this is that. So it wasn't something that was still yet to come. It is right now in this moment, this is that. What the prophet Joel prophesied, God has begun to do right here, right now, on this day. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your maidservants and manservants shall prophesy. Let me speak to this. Man, woman, young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. A heart that cries out to God shall be saved. It is a candidate to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for them. You start talking about visions, you start talking about dreams, people kind of start looking at you cross-eyed. They start talking about, well, what kind of weirdo are you? Well, I'm going to defend having dreams and visions because the Word of God says that when he pours out his spirit upon flesh, that dreams and visions are something that comes along. We better get back to letting God be God. 
We better get back to letting God take us further than we've ever experienced before. Because if we limit God to only do what we've experienced or what we are comfortable with, then that makes us God and not Him. My message this morning is coming out of 1 Corinthians because we're not done yet. We'll be in the fourth chapter. But it deals with this very thing. I'll get ahead of myself a little bit here. It's all right. Amen. Terry, let her pray. Glory. There's no hurry here. Jesus says, my house shall be known as the house of prayer. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, I kind of just felt something this week. I already told you. (laughs) Uh, And I've been warning you of it for a few months. But this last week or two, man, there's been something stirring up and. uh, I can't even remember what day of the week it was. I guess it was Thursday morning. I was over in Leary and I was mowing out at JMS. Nothing like getting the world drowned out by that zero turn. I was about two hours into mowing because I mow a little over five acres. I was about two hours into mowing and I realized that some of the concerns of the world that had been weighting me down, that really lived rent-free in my mind 24-7, had just vanished. I was about two hours in, and I was like, wait a minute. This is what peace feels like. Wait a minute. This is what unity feels like. Because there was no division in the spirit realm to keep the preacher up all night. It was just peace. Like all is good at home. And the Lord began to deal with me, and he says, if you will stay here, meaning if you will stay in this unity, if you will keep this mind and this heart in a place where you'll focus on me and nothing else, stop worrying about the woes of the world and just focus on me. That in this place of peace, in this place of unity, that a voice of unity, a church of unity, we are unstoppable in the spirit realm. And there's not a devil in hell that can come against the will of God and what's God doing. Most often when God seems to lose his steam and power, it's not that God lost his steam and power. It's the church loses her steam and power. And the church will lose her steam and power because we get our minds elsewhere. We start looking here and looking there and focusing on this and focusing on that. But when we put our faith in Jesus and we just leave it there and we just let whatever is, is. Not going to give my peace to chaos. I shared something on social media a week or so ago. It says, I will no longer give my peace to those who are at war with themselves. And I thought to myself, you know what? That speaks volumes. God is not a God of confusion, and he is not the God of chaos. And so if chaos and confusion is the only product that a life is producing, I've, I've backed up from saying stuff like this, because when you know so much, you, you, but, but it's just the truth. If chaos and confusion is the only product you seem to be able to produce, check up. Check up. I'm not telling you that you won't have troubles. I'm not telling you you won't have struggles. I'm not saying that because that happens. The Word of God proves so. I'm going to talk about it here in just a minute. There is suffering for the saints. But there is peace 
in the midst of suffering for the saints. And so while the world may be in chaos, I don't have to be. While the world may be divided and gone crazy, I don't have to be. I can walk in the peace of God that passes all understanding. I can walk with the joy of the Lord that is unspeakable because in his presence is a fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's the promise I have as being a believer. So this morning's message is entitled Faithfulness. But there's a little blue line. Y'all can't see it. I'll read it to you. It says faithfulness in every circumstance. God's not looking for our faithfulness when it's convenient. God's not looking for our faithfulness when we're on the mountaintop. Oh, he wants it there too. But he wants your faithfulness when you're in the valley. He wants your faithfulness when it seems that everything around you is falling apart. When you find yourself in the midst of chaos, he still is requiring, really quite frankly, we'll look at the Greek here in a minute, he is demanding faithfulness. We oftentimes take too much of God's word as a suggestion when most of the time it is a command. You do this, and there is no yeah buts behind it. Just do it. That's the reason James warns us in James 1 and 22 that if we just hear the word but we do not do it, we deceive ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we looked at the fact that the word is confirmed with power. We're going to look in chapter 4 because Paul says it again in the same letter. That the kingdom of God is not just in word, but in power. Power. And so the, the days and the ideas of mealy-mouthed, wimpy Christians is for the birds. Ladies, I don't know another way to say this, so y'all just understand what I'm saying. But it's time for all of us to just man up. It's time for all of us to get a backbone. Why do we walk around in defeat, claiming to be full of the Holy Ghost that belongs to the God who is creator of all the universe? The God who speaks and that which was not is all of a sudden is. The God who speaks and mountains melt like wax. The God who breathes and the Red Sea parts. The God who breathes and the Jordan separates. The God who breathes and the, and the axe head of iron flows. The God who breathes and a virgin conceives and gives birth. Him. <laughs> the one who said that my name is the name that is above every other name that ever has been or ever shall be. It is the name that every tongue shall confess his Lord and every knee will bow. And that it was evident in the word of God that those who believed went about healing all of those who were sick and oppressed, that he had given them authority over all. You know, you, you, you know the translation of all? <laughs> Err one of them. <laughs> Lacking nothing. All. And so if he give us authority over all, then why is it that we decide which ones we're going to let have authority over us? Yeah, but you just don't understand. Oh, I understand that you like that devil and you don't want to get rid of it. That's what it is. Well, I, would I know you would never say that, but when you say, yeah, but, that's exactly what you said. 
That's exactly what you said. I'm going to steal Brother Lauren Larson's mouth. I'm preaching better than you, amen. Uh, No, today I want you to understand that it's time for the church to arise. The devil tried to kill me last night, being real. I told Allie, I said, I think I'm going to have to call somebody and tell them to preach tomorrow. I'm having an episode. I'm perfectly healthy. But something got on me last night. I felt feverish, but I had no fever. I was sweating, yet I was freezing to death. But I still had no fever. Couldn't hardly talk because my voice was so hurting and raw. Everybody in here says, oh, Lord, what have you done brought in here and give to us? Absolutely nothing because I woke up this morning. And I'll be totally transparent with you. She said, you want to call somebody and have them preach? I said, yeah, I think I am. And the minute I said it, the Lord said, don't you dare. He said, you say what I told you to say. And can't nobody say it the way you say it, but the way I give it to you for you to say it. I said, but Lord, I'm not unto death. I really, I mean, like, I might come to see you tonight, Jesus. I really feel like, let me go get my life insurance policy and have it on the kitchen table just in case I don't wake up in the morning. Because that's how I felt. But when I went to bed, I said, Lord, I'm going to bed by faith. I'm being honest. I'm going to bed by faith. When I wake up in the morning, you best had done something. And that was my prayer. And I woke up about four this morning. And I felt just fine. I felt good. I done shouted and sang and give God glory. So now I got to drink my water because I'm all dry again. But. Why did you stop to tell this? Because that's simple. It wasn't no big labored prayer, but it was just all the faith I had just released in him. As God, I feel dead right now, but in the morning I better be alive. And I was, (laughs) and I am. Just like, Lord, we need a cloud, and a cloud shows up. Lord, we need a breeze, and the breeze shows up. You realize if you are saved, the Holy Ghost of God dwells in you. I'm going to get to my message in a minute. We ain't even there yet. Huh? When, when <laughs> the, the, the Holy Ghost of God dwells in you, and if the Holy Ghost of God dwells in you and we walk in his authority and he has given us the keys, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man so regard us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by man's judgment. I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time until the Lord comes. He will bring the light to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the purposes of the heart. Then everyone will have commendations from God. Brothers, I have figuratively applied these things to myself and Apollos for your sake that you may learn from us not to think of men above that which is written and that Not one of you would be arrogant for one against another. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you have not received it, why do you 
boast as if you had not received it. Now you are full. Now you are rich. You have begun reigning as kings without us. And I wish to God you reigned so that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, the apostles, last as if we were sentenced to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are poorly clothed, beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being slandered, we encourage. We, we are made as the filth of the world and are the refuge of all things to this day. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for if you were to have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. In Christ Jesus, I have become a father to you through the gospel. So I implore you, be followers of me. Therefore, I have sent Timothy to you. He is my beloved son and is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not only what those who are arrogant are saying, but also their power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? are in love and in the spirit of meekness. Had to read the entire chapter to you. You can't just read a verse or two and gather here. I'm going to give you an overview for the sake of time, and then we will dig into some verse by verse. But the overview here and what Paul is writing is the church in Corinth had begun to be arrogant and who was their teacher and their instructor and oh well I learned from this one and I learned from that one and we're this and we're that and I mean look at all that we have and look at all that we can do and look at me and I'm this and I'm that but oh brother Paul the father of the faith he's over here suffering so he must not be walking in the will of God and we must and it was this pride began to build up they were reflecting on their own self-will and their own self-ability. They were no longer depending upon the power of the Spirit. They had a good talk, and that's what Paul is dealing with in these last verses. There in verse 20, I want to read that to you again. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He said, you can have all the talk you want, but what's the evident of what you're saying? You can blow all the smoke you want to blow, but what are the fruits of your ministry? You can have all the eloquent speech. You can have all the props and all this and all that. But if there's no power of the gospel message, then it's for nothing. What is it to have everything in a worldly sense, but yet have no power 
when it comes to the things of the Spirit. And that's what I want to talk to you for a second, and then we're going to go back to the first and walk through it. But what is it if you have all the wisdom, all the knowledge, you can quote every verse in the book, you can dress to the nines, and you can use all the church lingo and jargon and put on airs of being super spiritual, but there's no power in your life. There's no power in the ministry that you're producing. Say, like, why do you keep talking about ministries? We're pre- do you realize we all have ministry? You don't have to stand behind a pulpit to be in ministry. You can have ministry in Brookshire's and Walmart and everywhere else, McDonald's and a coffee shop. Wherever you are is your ministry because you're called to a ministry of reconciliation. You have a mandate from God to share the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be light of the world. We are to be salt. So that's on the job site, in the local restaurant, at the red light when somebody cuts you off. You still got a witness. I use that because I remember back when I was driving for a living. That could test your sanctification. When you was on a time frame and you had to have these deliveries at certain places at certain times. And then people being stupid on the road was the hindrance between me and my time. I still put those skills to test. We'll go somewhere and I'll tell the kids, we're going to pull in at 314. How do you know hide and watch? And what they don't realize is when I'm going to beat time, I'll start slowing down, you know. And if I'm not going to, you know, but no, I'll pull in at 314. How'd you do it? I said, well, you run a route every day for year after year. You know how to make time. Look, what's the power? What's the power? I want to be careful here because I don't want to paint this picture that if you are going through a hard time or there's a struggle in your life that God's not pleased with you. I don't want to paint that picture because the enemy can take that too far one direction. But when I talk about power, I'm talking about how are you dealing with it? What is your witness going through it? And I know I've said this before. I didn't ask her permission to say it again. And and I just, I'll use this one example because she'll get frustrated with me but won't say nothing. And You know, when Sister Barbara got her diagnosis nearly a year ago, and it wasn't a good diagnosis, I was frustrated and irritated and mad, I I think maybe even more than she was, to be honest with you. And so I was trying to make a regular habit of getting by to see her because that diagnosis, I wasn't too sure. I'm like, blessed Lord, Sister Barbara's going to see Jesus in a few months. I better spend all the time I can. I mean, that's really kind of how it sounded. And I'd go over to their house, and I'm kind of walking in defeated in my mind, but I was trying to put a fake smile on. And you talk to her, and she says, I'm going to be all right. She said, I'm not sick. I just can't breathe. I think that's the definition of being sick. But, <laughs> but, but that, that was her heart. I'm not sick. I just can't breathe. I'm not sick. I'm fine. I just can't breathe. I'm not sick. I can't breathe. Do you hear yourself? But that was the power of her testimony. Is this ain't going to steal my peace. And this ain't going to steal my joy. And I'm going to truck through this with all the dignity I can muster. Because it's not me, but I want to give God the glory. And then we'd see her take her oxygen off and raise her hands and walk up and down the aisle over there. And today she's still sitting in this sanctuary with a report. Was it 60%? 60%. See, she had zero lung function. 
last November. Now she has 60% lung function. Glory to God. I'm believing for 100%. But I'm telling you that because there was power in a witness. It could have been woe is me and I don't know and here's this doom and gloom. Pity on me and everybody come look at me. But rather nobody look at me. I'm not sick. I just can't breathe. Don't fuss over me. You're busy. Go see somebody else. Quit coming by. You don't. Oh, I know you're busy. Go on. I'm not sick. I just can't breathe. There's power. See, it wasn't just in word. It wasn't just showing up and being a holy saint on Sunday. It was Monday through Saturday. I'm still going to walk in the joy. I'm going to walk in the peace. And I'm going to press on. And God's faithful. If he heals me, glory. If he doesn't, glory. I got peace that passes all understanding. There's power in that testimony. Verses 1 through 2, Paul says, Let man so regard us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want to point out to you here the language that says ministers of Christ. Paul's saying something here. He's saying, I'm a minister of Christ, not a minister of people. He is saying here, when you look at the true context in the full Greek, it is saying that, look, no, I'm not here to please people, but I'm here to please my master whom is Christ. And he goes on, as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries. Well, the word steward here means basically a house manager. And so in a cultural context here, a family of affluence, they would have several servants within their household. And while... They were all servants as ministers of the gospel or laity. We are all fellow servants, fellow laborers together. But the master of the house would find a servant who was faithful and responsible and call them to be the steward, that is, the manager of the house. And so while they were still a servant, they had a responsibility to oversee the day-to-day workings of the house. They had a responsibility to carry out the task that the master had made known. And the steward, the The manager of the house did not answer to his fellow servants, even though he was a servant, but he answered to the master of the house. And that's what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth, who began to build themselves up and be puffed up in their arrogance as he's saying, no, look, I don't have to be anything special or this, that, or the other. I am a minister of Christ And he has called me in being a steward, a a manager of the house. And so I answer to him. Then it carries on to say that the stewards are to be faithful. Well, when you look at the original language there in the Greek, this is not a a suggestion of faithfulness. But he's saying that you must be. God is demanding that the stewards of the mysteries of God Be faithful. What the Lord has been saying over the last several months, and I believe the voice of the Spirit is to the church today, if we will hear, is God is looking for an obedient people. 
He is looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness is not just showing up from time to time. And I'm not even talking about church attendance, and I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a faithfulness to the things of God on a day-to-day basis. Is God on your mind at lunch on Tuesday, Thursday afternoon? When the kids are misbehaving, it's been a bad day at work. Is Jesus still the focus of your faith? That's what I'm asking you. That's what faithfulness is. Do we all fall short? Sure we do. But falling short, knowing that we're not perfect until we'll be glorified, does not give us an excuse to just start our day in failure. Mercy and grace is there. I was speaking with Mary the other day. I was praying about this because... Oftentimes, people have a big misconception of what grace and mercy is. A lot of people treat grace and mercy as an umbrella to cover what they willfully do. When grace and mercy really is a safety net for when we fall off the narrow path of righteousness, it catches us and gives us an opportunity to get back on. There is a difference. And an umbrella that just covers me and lets me do whatever I want to do I get to walk in the rain, but don't get wet. I get to walk in sin. I don't go to hell. That's not grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is, Scripture makes it plain that the path of righteousness is narrow. And few are there. But the path that leads to destruction is wide. And there's all kinds of people there. So we need to be careful what we're following. If if it's what everybody's doing, that's red flag number one. If it's what everybody's doing, that's probably what's going to lead you to hell. Do y'all believe in hell? That was quiet. Do you realize that we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principality and spiritual wickedness in the high places? You realize there's an enemy? Do you know that? That he is seeking whom he may devour? That he has only come to steal, kill, and destroy? Do you know that? Really? Do you wake up every morning realizing there is an attack on your soul? Boy, y'all are quiet. I know it's 12.05. Chill out. I'm up here sweating to death so y'all can be comfortable. Chill out. Glory to God. Mm, I'm taking this time on purpose. Do we realize... We have an enemy, and he's not out to just get your buddy. He's after you, and the greater threat you are to him, the harder he's going to come against you. So when it seems that every time you wake up and the devil has done unleashed some new plague on you, Don't get mad at God. Get mad at the devil. He's the one who sees the potential in you. He's the one that felt the power of your faith when you stood up this morning. Goodness gracious. I'm going to. If y'all got to leave, you're welcome to go. No church, in all seriousness and not to belabor, And I know it may even sound like I've been redundant in the last few weeks. But this is the cry of the Spirit, is now is the time for obedience. 
I don't, I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I don't know what is being released in the spirit. But there is an attack and there is chaos that has been released. And the church better get right because this idea of when the proverbial poop hits the fan, I'm sorry, but then we'll get everything in order. It ain't going to happen. You better get it right now so that when it hits the fan, we're ready for it. And so I, I wish, again, I wish I could point my finger and tell you, this is what's going to happen. I can't. But I know in my spirit, the voice of God is saying, church, be ready. Be on the lookout. Be alarm. The, the alarm is sounding. And it's time for us to wake up out of our slumber. Paul, let me skip ahead. Paul here in verse 8, he says, Oh, now you are full and you are rich and you have begun reigning as kings. No, he's being sarcastic. Paul is speaking to them in a sarcastic... That's the reason I love the Apostle Paul. Because it's okay to say crap because he says everything is but a pile of dung. That's crap. That's poop. <laughs> say, don't say that, preacher. Well, that's what he said. He said, y'all over here fussing about circumcision. Half of you, I wish you'd just castrate you and it'd fix the whole problem. That's what Paul said. And then he comes in here and he says, oh, you're so holy. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you're reigning as kings. This is sarcasm. He's not pronouncing a blessing on them. He said, oh, you are so high and mighty. You think you got it going on. I wish you were doing what you say you do because then I could join in with you. But because you're full of a lot of hot air, when I show up, because don't think I'm not coming, I'm coming. And when I show up, I'm going to not look at your words. I'm going to look at your power. That's what he said. So what he's saying is when I show up and I see that you bumping your gums, but there is no evidence of anything that you're doing. You're just a bunch of yakking. You better pray that I show up in a spirit of love because I might just show up with a rod. Y'all wonder why I preach the way I do? Because I preach the word <laughs> under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I preach it like the Apostle Paul. That's how God wanted it done to build the first century church. That's how he wants it done to build the 21st century church. People need to be scolded. People need to be reminded Jesus is coming back and not everybody who thinks they're going to make it is going to make it. That it ain't good enough to play church. It ain't good enough to be a good old boy who went to VBS with grandmama. That ain't enough. That's not who God's looking for. He's looking for a peculiar people who set apart, who's faithful in obedience, whose faith is fixed in Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Here in verse 8, when he's getting sarcastic with them, really he's using the same tone that Jesus took in Revelation 3, verse 17, when he's talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, oh, I see. <laughs> you know, you have become so holy and righteous. Let me get over here and read this. Let me read the word to you. Revelation 3, verse 17. Can I point out an imperfection in myself? 
I forgot a page of notes at home. Y'all better be glad. <laughs> Revelation 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich and have stored up goods and have need of nothing. Yet you do not realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, Paul's using that same spirit, that same attitude of correction. Be careful, church, that you think you've got it all figured out. Be careful when you think that you can do it in your own strength and your own ability. Because what you don't realize, you're out here boasting about all you got. You really ain't got nothing. That's kind of how I feel. Well, I'm going to go here. And why why we, we can't have 45-minute church? I'd like to have 45-minute church. But God wants to do something on the earth. And I've just come to learn he don't do it in 45 minutes. I, I see all these churches, and I'm just going to call it out like it. They, they scold me for taking too long. They scold me for not being relevant. Don't you know people are busy in today's world? That's our problem is we've scheduled God clean out of our life. That's our problem. Well, the God moves in our church, and we got 45-minute church. Really? Glory. When was the last time somebody got healed in church? Oh, well, I mean, we, we've got people in our church healed. Oh, you did? Well, when? Well, I mean, we got, you know, it wasn't in church, was it? Well, no, because you didn't call forth for the sick because you ain't got time. When was the last time you had tongue and interpretation in your church? Oh, we, we, we um, uh, yeah, because you don't. Because you ain't got time. When was the last time that two or three words of prophecy and words of knowledge came? Oh, well, never. It's because you ain't got time. So these are the things that I already read to you in Acts 2.17. When Paul, or Peter, excuse me, is quoting Joel, that in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All of it. Every one of them. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor. All of it. So if he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and the gifts of the spirit, as long as well as, let me say it that way, the fruits of the spirit are to be evident within our lives, then we ought to be a people who are walking in love, who are walking in peace, who have patience one for another, who are mild and kind, who have self-control. And we ought to be a people who are gifted with words of knowledge, wisdom, gift of prophecy, healing, faith, other miracles, discernment, tongues, and the interpretation. That's still for today. There is not a Bible verse one that says those things went away. That is a doctrine of man, not a doctrine of the word. Find me chapter and verse, and I'll talk to you about it. There's one verse in 1 Corinthians 14 that says, Then these shall pass away. But you got to read in context of what it was saying. When are they going to pass away? When Jesus returns. Has Jesus returned? No. So they ain't passed away yet. They're still for today. Because we are still in the church age. Faithfulness, obedience. What's required is not brilliance or eloquence or some sort of profound knowledge. What is required is faithfulness. 
faithfulness to Christ and not man. It's the business of the preacher to know what the master wants, what the master desires, and then to do what he's told to do. We are given the Holy Spirit to convey us the will of the Lord. We should have no excuse to know what the will of God is, nor do we have an excuse not to be carrying out the will of God. Romans 8, 26 through 28 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do, know not, we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He is requiring faithfulness. He is demanding faithfulness. Paul goes on to say, be careful in your judging. He says, for I do not judge myself. Paul is not, people take this stuff totally out of context. Paul is not saying, oh, I don't judge myself. I don't watch what I do. I just do whatever I want to do. That's some of the ways people twist this word. That is not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, do not be judging the intent of man's heart because you are not qualified to do so. He's saying, I can't even judge the intent of my own heart because I believe that I have done everything with a pure and a right heart, but it's not up for me to decide. God will make it known to me on the day that I stand before him at his judgment seat. He will make clear the intent of my heart even. And so that's what Paul is dealing with here when he's talking about not judging. He is not dealing with the fruits of salvation because Paul also teaches us that we are to judge those things. The problem is, is under the guise of love and having a perverted understanding of what love is, we have excused sin and we have excused disobedience and we have excused faithlessness because we don't want to offend anybody. Because we don't, you know, well, we got to operate in love. Well, we can't correct them. We stopped correcting our kids a couple of decades ago. How's that turned out for us? Y'all stop. Y'all, I didn't tear my hair. Did y'all see my Facebook post? I'll give Cooper and Catherine's not here this weekend. Cooper had three goals for school. And number three was to not be bad. Glory! That's victory for us. At least it's made it on the goal. I mean, at least it's a goal. He ain't quite walking in it yet, but I mean, at least it's a goal. He's working toward it to not be bad. Let us not be high-minded in our thinking. Let us stop putting so much clout on our own selves, thinking we've got it all figured out and everybody else needs to come to our standard. No, we have no standard other than Christ Jesus. We need to raise to Christ's standard and be praying and interceding on the behalf of others that they be raised to Christ's standard. Be careful in the judging and the motives of hearts and in the intentions of others. Paul says here that, you know, he can't even purely judge his own heart. Psalms 19 and verse 12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. 
God is the only one who knows the pure intent of the heart of man. If we're not careful, if we don't humble and submit ourselves to the standards of God's word, our consciences can become very insensitive. They can become corrupt. And when that happens, what, what will end up happening is people will be totally unaware of the sin in their life because we just stop using God's standard and we start judging ourselves against one another. And that's what's happened in the world is we judge our, the church, we judge ourselves against the world. Well, as the world is getting darker and darker and darker, the church is falling less and less and less. When if our eyes was on Jesus, you know, the problem is, it's like, oh, the world's here, so we're here. So we're doing good. Oh, well, the world's here, so we're here, we're doing good. Oh, well, the world's here, well, we're here, we're doing good. And all the while, Jesus is up here. And we're getting further and further from him. Because we've made the world our standard instead of Christ our standard. And when Christ is our standard and we're gleaning toward him and the world is continuing to get darker and darker and darker, the gap between the church and the world should be wider and wider and wider as time goes on. Now more than ever, the church should glean should just stand out like the old sore thumb, as we like to say, in comparison to the world. But instead, the church is attempting to camouflage itself and look like the world. Be aware, church. God demands faithfulness. To go beyond Scripture and try to puff yourself up with pride and we see it in ministers primarily, and yes, I'm a minister, and so this is something that we always have to guard against and pray against, and if we're not, we'll find ourselves in a rough spot. You can't puff yourself up. Is a minister of the gospel due respect and honor? Sure, the word tells us so, but we're not to be worshipped. We're not to be exalted and put on some kind of pedestal. Because while I do put my pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else and I'm a fellow laborer in Christ, I do have that additional judgment that awaits me for every word that comes out of my mouth as I teach and lead the house of faith. But what Paul begins to deal with here, especially in verse 6, is he, he deals with this being puffed up about yourself and being puffed up with what ministry you're following. I've dealt with this a little bit in other chapters here in 1 Corinthians because this was an issue in the church at Corinth. Is this, is this pride and, and this twisting of everything. When we begin to be puffed up and prideful about who we are, who we're associated with, we're this and we're that, that is the very root, the very root of quarreling, fights that is the very root of jealousy that is the very root of anger of divisions cliques factions whatever word you want to use that is the root of slander it is the root of gossip that is how racism comes in it's because we began to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to and because I've got this color skin or that color skin I'm this or I'm that that's where the enemy inserts racism when we began to think oh well we're this church and we're that church and we're this then the enemy inserts division that pride and when we puff up and we put our standards on earthly vessels instead of Christ 
that's where we mess up. We need to understand that we are all one in Christ. We must be careful of this unscriptural mindset that we just, (laughs) that we have arrived and we can do this. I I wish I knew the early church uh, father's name within the Catholic church. Uh, knew the Pope was showing us priests the Vatican's treasures and all that they say it had and the vast riches. And he said to this young squire, he says, you know, at one time the church had to say, silver and gold have I none, but now we have no need to say that because we have silver and gold. And the young squire said, yes, we can now say that we have silver and gold, but we no longer can say rise and walk. And that's exactly where we see ourselves, and that's what Christ was dealing with in the letter to the church of Laodicea. Paul is dealing with here to this letter of the church of Corinth, and I believe that both those churches are very, that's what the American church has become, is the church of Corinth, the church of Laodicea. We are rich, and we have money, and we have means, and we can do this, and we can do that. At one time, we were trying to just scrape by enough to find a place to meet. You know, I mean, you realize the Azusa Street outpouring that we talk about, it took place in a horse barn. They had to go in and scoop out poop before they could have church. And now we spend tens of thousands of dollars on lights. I mean, I like them. They're pretty. It's nice to be able to dim them, and they're a whole lot more better on the eyes than them fluorescent lights. They don't buzz either. One day we'll change this ugly carpet, but it's still serving its purpose. But see, isn't it crazy that now when we gather in church circles, we're not raising money to send the missionary to tell somebody who ain't ever heard about Jesus. We're trying to raise a capital campaign so we can spend a million dollars on a building. What's our purpose? What's our goal? We trying to keep up with the Joneses or are we trying to keep up with Jesus? It's comfortable to be able to, to be able to say, yeah, we got some silver and gold. But I'd much rather not have any silver and gold and be able to say rise and walk. Because the church Jesus is coming back for, they don't just talk about it. They do it. Are you ready to be a doing church? Huh? I can't look. I don't even know why I'm looking at my notes. I'm so not anywhere near. I mean, I've said what's in the notes, but I've not said it in the order or with the tact, or with the eloquence of how it was written. I just said it. Because here's the preacher's heart. This marks three years for us. Allie and I have been here three years. It's crazy. August 30th of 2020, y'all voted us in. September 13th was my first Sunday in the pulpit. We have been trained in all of our training that it takes three to five years to begin to see the fruit of the labor that you sow. So I believe that the Lord has reminded us that all the pushing and the trial and the frustration and the irritation, it wasn't for naught. That we're just about to walk in to the fruit of the seed sown. That we have been in preparation. We have been in sowing and maintaining but that we are walking, <laughs> that we are, at least it was my wife, and I can't, you know, we, we are walking into harvest. 
Thank you so much again for taking time to listen to a message from the sanctuary of Cornerstone Assemblies of God. We do this through the help of our listeners and friends in the community. If you would like to donate to our broadcast, you can go to cornerstoneatlanta.tv and give as the Lord would lead you. But again, I, Pastor Richard Wade of Cornerstone Assemblies of God, just say thank you for taking time, and I pray the Lord make this real to you today. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is free. Speak Jesus. Cause your name is power, your name is healing, 
Jesus. 